This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at an unbelievably fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want, that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glen and use the promo code glen. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to casper.com slash glen, casper.com slash Glenn. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. Yes, yes, America. Your uh, your ears do not deceive you. We are here early. We are actually recording ahead of time. We're being responsible broadcasters. It's we're very, being good. We're being good Christians. That's the bottom line. Very professional of us. Don't you agree, Billy Hallowell? Uh, yeah. Look, it's, the the lovely thing about podcasts, because we were never, ever, ever given a slot on the Blaze Radio, um, or any other radio for that matter, <laughs> the lovely thing about having a podcast is that we can just publish it whenever we we'll want. do whatever the heck we want. So here we are. <laughs> what? I just do it whenever the heck we want. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, look, the, the uh, benefits of being ignore, ignored by a radio network are that you get to have a podcast, well, and it's amazing. No, Billy, if you're not careful, people will accuse you of whining and crying. <laughs> They'd be accusing with accuracy. Yeah. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm kidding. The Blaze Radio has been great. The, the Blaze has helped promote our podcast yes, very nicely. But we so. like to give them a hard time because that's what we do. It's one, it's one of our few skills is to whine and complain. So... But we are here. We are actually. Uh, Billy and I have travel plans for Friday, and stuff was coming up with Billy yesterday or uh, Thursday. So we are here now, uh, doing this, the Idiotic Church Boys podcast. Thank you for being here. It's, uh, you know, we'd do it even if you weren't. But thanks for being here anyway. Uh, so Billy, I guess we should just launch right into this, <laughs> the most recent Trump nonsense, because I don't think Donald Trump would be a big fan of the whining and and crying that we've been doing. Uh, on the show as of late. Uh, did you hear his latest? <laughs> God, <it's a laughs> freaking clown. His latest rant against the, the baby. I did. Are you going to play this, it? Yeah, just a minute. This is how professional we are. We're going to have to make some audio adjustments on the air on the fly because something's going on with your mic. So, um, as we Your record, sounds awful to me too. By the way, well, as we record, plug down your gain, uh, the, that knob in the back on the back of your mic. Pull down your gain just a little bit more. Let's see. It's, it's almost off. Is that better? That's. I think that's better. Let me just go ahead and talk into it like a normal person now. 
Well, no, like a normal Christopher Field. <laughs> See, this is not this like is a not, normal person. It's not a helpful. All right, so this, we'll go. We'll this go ahead show and go. blunts off the air. We go. No one. Well, you complaining about it's not having a slot on any network anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Please, Blaze Radio, put us on the air. Yeah, this is the treat that your listeners would have. <laughs> All right, put, so put us on the air. I do not know what's going on with your mic, so I'm just gonna push this button here. Bring that down a little bit and see if that helps at all. All right. So now Donald Trump on, what was it, Tuesday at a rally. Um, oh, my gosh. The man. Well, let's just play the clip and then we'll get into it. You know what clip I'm talking about, right? I do. Okay. This is from, a, ra- this is from a rally and I believe it was in Ashburn, Virginia. Uh, so here, I'll just let this, this roll and we'll let it uh, speak for itself and then we'll talk about it. It's a tenant of mine in New York. The biggest in the world, a Chinese bank. Okay, there's a there's a baby crying in the tenant, there's a baby crying in the background. In case you can't hear it on this clip. Of mine in New York, the biggest in the world, a Chinese bank. Don't worry about that baby. I love babies. So, <laughs> I love babies. I hear that baby crying. I like. It. I like it. What a baby. What a beautiful baby. Don't worry. Don't worry. The mom's running around like, don't worry about it. You know. It's young and beautiful and healthy, and that's what we want. Okay. But, but look, look. China, when China. they devalue... China. So it's when China go. devalues its country, on here. they take He's our guts out. And they do it so often. They do it so often. He's They're trying to constantly... talk about this China thing. Uh-oh. That's just stopped for some reason. It's not saying it can't be played. What the heck is going on with my computer today? I think it's on your end. I have to be honest okay, with so, you. Okay, so he's... He's he's in the middle of the speech and at this rally in Virginia, right? Yep. And yep. this baby has interrupted him and he says, just it's, don't worry about that baby, right? And he says, you can stay, don't worry, the mom's worried about it, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes on to continue with his speech about China, China, right? And so let's see if I can get to work <laughs> on, this, on this other. Don't worry about that baby, I love babies. So. I love babies. I hear that baby crying, I like okay, it. Okay, so we listened to that part already. <laughs> Wait, no, the part uh, about it being young and beautiful is very weird. Young and beautiful and fabulous is the best crying baby in the world because it's the Trump rally. It's the world's best crying baby. Okay. I just can't. I can't. <laughs> so, okay, so I think this picks up close to where he starts to then change his mind. How did they get away? But we had a problem. We were doing other Baby's things. crying okay? again. So when China does that, we have to fight back. Now, here's how you fight back. Because we can't fight back any other way. We have the piggy bank. They have ripped us to shreds. Ripped us absolutely to shreds. Actually, I was only kidding. You can get the baby out of here. <laughs> get this look like get out of here. That's all right. Don't worry. I, I think she really believed me that I love having a baby crying while I'm speaking. That's okay. <laughs> People don't understand. That's okay. <laughs> okay. So, okay, first, there's two things. One, do you want to talk about his reaction, or do you want to talk about the idiot mom with the crying baby first? I think we have to st- we have to start with Come the on. reaction because I think the reaction, and here's the irony: you've got all of these people, I think, overreacting to some of this. Is it comical? Yes. Yes. Is it ridiculous. That's the yeah, thing. So it's it's funny. Every, this is not funny. uncommon for Donald Trump, right? Listen, I don't I don't blame him at all. I don't blame him at all. In fact, I'm on Donald's side on this. It's like, 
first he says he's trying to be polite and say, don't worry about the baby. Don't worry about it. It's not, it's not a problem. Don't worry about it. Right. Probably thinking in his mind. Okay. And it gets into the discussion about the mother. Probably thinking in his mind, anybody with any sense is going to take a crying baby out of a public forum, right? If we're trying to have a meeting here, or a, if a church service or a political rally or whatever, you're going to remove a crying baby from the premises if the baby is being loud and obnoxious. He kind of kind of thinks he's going to give the mother the benefit of the doubt. Okay, listen, I'm trying to be kind and say I'm not, don't think I'm mad at you. And then she doesn't leave. And he's kind of in the back of his mind got to be going, okay, what more do I have to say? I mean, I kind of gave a backhanded clue to... This is what you should be doing. Get that baby the heck out of this this rally. Right. Why and she is doesn't your baby leave. In, first of all, what idiot parent all, doesn't leave? Would you leave if, you, if your baby was screaming during a, somebody's speech? Would well, you I wouldn't leave? bring my kid to a political rally to begin right, with. I barely you, bring my kid to the store. So right. But if you, you had, know, but if you no, had, to bring, if you had to bring your your child because you didn't have a sitter or whatever, and you really wanted to go to, wouldn't you get up, excuse me, get up and leave with the baby? Yes, if my life somehow magically depended on bringing my baby to a Donald Trump rally and I decided to do that right. to save, spare my life or whatever bizarre reason forced me to bring my child there, I would leave if my kids started crying. <laughs> yes. Yes. So this idiot mom has it coming. As far as I'm concerned, they should have plastered her face up there on the screen to show this is the dummy with the crying baby who won't leave the room. Right? <laughs> right? So that should have happened. What? But what makes it funny is Donald's reaction, right? Because he... He says, no, don't worry. I love baby. It's the best crying baby in the world. So, and then she doesn't right, leave, exactly. and he's going, "What is it with this dumb broad that she won't leave with the baby?" <laughs> but actually, this is what you can get love that about Donald Trump. Yeah, Most politicians <laughs> would not be able to. He's interacting with the audience. Yep. There, this is when you yep. okay. And this is like when yep. I when yep. I teach speech, right? Oral communications. It's the number one thing is relating to your audience. He knows exactly how to relate to his audience. He's having a conversation <laughs> with them. That's why they love him. And he's doing it by joking about this baby. Now somehow, Rolling Stone has taken the headline on this Rolling Stone piece is Donald Trump hates babies. Why bad parents make bad presidents. And. I, I read He's this not the bad parent thought, in this situation. Right. And and we don't really look again. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. I but I would say and I've said this in the show, his biggest attribute and the best thing he has going for him are his kids. And yes, is, does that mean he was the best parent in the world? No, but his kids seem pretty decent. Yeah, they yeah. do. They, I, they, seem pretty they do. Decent. They may be putting on a show. Who knows? But you know what? They do come across as really decent kids. But again, the, the the headline, Donald Trump hates babies, why bad parents make bad presidents. When you're talking, when you're using this, you can't use this situation in which he kind of lectures or embarrasses this mom with the crying baby as evidence of, his, of, of your argument why bad parents make bad presidents because he's not the one being the bad parent in the situation. She is. Well, She's wait, being wait, wait, rude wait, and selfish but, but, and inconsiderate. But Rolling Stone... Noted that BuzzFeed apparently uncovered this 2005 interview um, with with Anthony Cumia, who apparently was talking with Trump. And Trump said back in 2005, Melania, when she was pregnant with his youngest son, that he doesn't change diapers, that he doesn't want to basically do the woman's job. I think the quote was, no, I don't do that in reference to diapers. There's a lot of women out there that demand that the husband act like the wife. And so that quote is coming back to haunt to haunt him now because he, right. he didn't change diapers. That means he must be an awful, terrible father. Right. But it has enough. But again, you can't use this. This is where this is where Rolling Stone misses it on a whole lot of a whole lot of levels. And that is 
you can't use this scenario. You can't logically you, you can't use this scenario and logically make the jump to a discussion about whether or not Donald is a bad parent. He's not the one being the bad parent in this situation. The bad parenting is happening is 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 happening at the hands of this idiot woman with the screaming baby. She won't leave the room. If you were somebody who who was there at the rally, wouldn't you go get the heck out of here? Take the yeah, baby well, and be, go. Well, like, just take your baby out. After he made the first comment, that should have been enough for you to take the baby out. Right. Now, some people would say, you know, okay, he said he kind of made it feel like, okay, it's okay to be here. It's okay. That I don't mind looks at the screaming baby. You can stay. And she kind of read it as that still. Anybody with any sense shouldn't read it as that. Anybody with any sense goes, okay, it's still, even though he's being kind and gracious about it, I should leave with the screaming baby. If you have sense, if you're not selfish, if you're not entitled, if you're actually a good parent and considerate of other human beings, we're trying to live in a civilized society here, right? You take the baby now, look, out of the freaking room. We don't know. Maybe, look, maybe she was trying to get the baby maybe, out and it maybe was Maybe she too was pinching the baby. I don't know. She wasn't. And she kept standing there. He was looking in the same direction. He's saying, actually, you can get that baby out of here. Obviously, she was not making any moves to get out. He says, because look at her. She's embarrassed. Like, blah, blah, blah. She should be embarrassed. She should be removing the baby, the screaming child, from the room. But she's well, a she doesn't. Because why? She's selfish and she's a bad parent. Oh, wow. You're going far with it. You, well, tell me you disagree. I'm not gonna say she's a bad. Okay, parent she's acting. Okay, I'm let me say this. In she's this act, moment, she's acting selfish and she's acting like a bad parent in this moment. In this moment, she's acting inappropriately. That's right. where I would leave it okay. because look, she somebody nobody knows what's really going on. We only know what Trump is saying. Obviously, it sounds like she's not leaving. Obviously, after he said it the first time, she didn't leave. Did she try to leave? Maybe there was a some sort of crisis <laughs> going on and she couldn't. I don't know. You, you get your. But the second this baby starts crying, you get your stuff and you get out. And, and she didn't. Because why? Because she chose to be selfish instead in that situation. Because I got to hear what Donald Trump has to say. It's so important that I'm going to disturb everyone around me so that they can't hear it either. Because I'm not going to remove my baby. Come on. Come on. Quit being selfish. This woman's going to find us. I just want to point this I hope, out. I hope she's a listener. Oh, what if it's Mrs. Pedro? <laughs> no, no. She's a good mother. She is a good mother. That would be bad, wouldn't it? Of course, this is happening in Virginia. So who do we know in Virginia? Oh, we know people with kids in Virginia. It's an Asper in Virginia. Where could we find? Who could we find out who? It I bet we could find out who it was. We have people there. Well, so speaking about this Donald Trump thing, so people are saying that this Don that Donald Trump hates babies, and that makes my bad parents make bad presents. So apparently, his reaction to a baby crying. Makes Donald a bad parent, which makes him unfit to be president, right? So we've had this conversation before. Remember, we had we brought this up with Metaxas when he was on, and he gave his silly God, you know, theological answer about nobody being unfit for president or whatever. No, listen, I am unfit to be president of the United States. Agree or disagree? I disagree. I don't. I don't like the unfit argument. I think it's a lazy way of dismissing somebody. Is there ever anybody um, who's unfit for president? To be honest, at this point, apparently not, because the very person accusing people of being unfit for president hung out with Bill Ayers, Bernadine okay. Dorn, and everybody what? else in the face of the earth who would, in the eyes of many, make him unfit to be president. But, so, but 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 there's nobody you would hold. I mean, outside of someone with mental, someone else, someone with mental deficiencies. Like we could all we could all say someone who's mentally handicapped perhaps is unfit for president, right? That doesn't mean they have bad character. It's just like you don't have the skill set for it. You're unfit to be right. Okay. Is there well, any that's though, a that's but would you ever, but yeah, but would you ever say there's anybody unfit for being president? I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say that that uh, 
that Bernadine Dorn or Bill Ayers is unfit for president? That's not something you wouldn't, you don't believe that you believe they're fit to serve as president. I don't like the term unfit for president. Maybe I think, think, I think the mean. term is a lazy term. What I would say is there are people, look, Donald Trump has built an empire, regardless of whether or not we think he's manipulated, manipulated laws, told lies, not, but he's built an empire. Right. Therefore, there are elements that Donald Trump possesses that make him fit to be president. Right. There are. Sure. To be totally unfit to be president, you have to be totally unfit to be president. And there are, I guess there are people, if we're going to throw the term out there, that would fall into those categories. But I just think it's a very lazy way of dismissing people in a political climate to say, well, that person's not fit to be president. Well, um, is somebody who lied about their emails, lied about Benghazi families fit to be president? I get no, I guess not in the eyes of some. To me, I think because we're in a situation where we have two evils that people are going to probably have to pick the lesser of or they're going to go right. with the unicorn in the sky notion of writing somebody in because it makes them feel good. Um, we need to sort of look at the the attributes. And I would say there are better options and worse options for president. That's how I would look at it. And at this point, one of them is a better or a worse option. you got to figure out who that is. So you wouldn't, I mean, hmm. so, but just, here's the thing. Just because it's accurate and easy doesn't make it lazy. It's possible that it's accurate about something. It doesn't make it a lazy descriptor. There are a lot of but people, I don't know there are what a lot makes of people you unfit to be. Pro there are a lot of people who use that. There are a lot of people who use that term in a lazy fashion. But that doesn't make it. If it is true, and it's an easy descriptor, that doesn't make it lazy if it's true. So what makes you unfit to be I don't, president? Don't you? I would say Bill Ayers is unfit to be president. He's anti-American. He committed terrorist acts well, against yes. the United States. That makes him unfit to be president in my book. And is I that, think that, is, and I okay, think is that, that being lazy? Would be fair. His negative attributes far outweigh his but positive it, but, attributes. But is that being lazy? To call him unfit um, to be president? I I would. Well, what you just did was explain exactly why he's un, he would be unfit. The problem right. I have is, well, this person's unfit. Okay, well, what are these specific the reasons? With Bill Ayers, you know, you could pull the, those out. Right, I but think if the with, person explains if, why a person is unfit, calling them unfit for president doesn't doesn't mean it doesn't make it a lazy argument. I think that in, in this election cycle, it has been used as a lazy argument. I don't like the wording. I don't like the phrasing. I get tired of hearing it because I think it's being thrown around to try to prop up one candidate and dismiss the other. And I have repeatedly said people need to make their choice. And a lot of Republicans have chosen Hillary in the past week, prominent know, Republicans, know, people who, um, and they've made that choice. And that's their choice. And I can respect that. Um, and, and if others do that for Trump, I, I will respect it. But I think I think it's a much more prudent thing to do to list out the pros and the cons and to try to figure out, okay, well, which person yeah. has, and look, I sat last night with people who in the middle of New York city, um, who said, you know what? I think when you list those things out, Trump is not as bad of an option as Hillary. And I've heard people say Hillary is a much better option than Trump. Yeah. So that I think is a better way of doing mm -hmm. it than oh, this person's just a blanket unfit. Well, I, you know, I, what makes Donald Trump unfit? I'm sure you could list reasons out. So go ahead, list them out. Right. And then there's, I mean, like, like Malik Shabazz. Wouldn't you say he's unfit to be president? Here's here's what I'm gonna say. I don't like the. I like analyzing the person. So let's analyze the people. Right. Go ahead and analyze why and you, you think that and then, person. And then you should can not determine whether or not that's a fitness argument. Okay. Right. Because I, right. I just I just I, simply saying it. I, I I guess I could understand if you're if people are just simply saying it without any evidence. That's one thing. But. If, well, if okay, Planned Parenthood's going to say that anybody who's pro-life is unfit to be president, right? Right. Because they're basically—it's just—it's a—it's something we throw out there. I'm sure if we knew the full histories and the and all the things that many of our past presidents have said, we would say many of them 
were unfit to be president yeah. based on those anecdotal yeah. things. You have to look at the collective whole. And I do think there are valid reasons for both candidates why people would say that they should not be president. Right. Uh, but the reality is one of them will be. And I'm going to keep saying that over and over and over again to all of the people like you, Chris, get it. They One of them will I'm be president. Stupid. I'm too stupid to get it, remember? Um, so, uh, so, so the, the fitness thing, one of the things that Donald Trump has done and the Washington post this week came out with a, with a four Pinocchio lie called one of Donald Trump's statements, a four Pinocchio lie. Right. And that's like their ultimate whopper lie, um, rating. Okay. And it's his, and they, they slammed his history, his revisionist history of mocking a disabled reporter, this New York times reporter. Because he, this, this guy has a disability and Donald Trump mocked him and mocked him on stage when he does. In fact, here's the audio of it. So what happens is the Washington Post writes an article and one of the paragraphs, it says, and by the way, this was right after September 11th. This was September 18th and right after, sort of an amazing thing, right after a couple of good paragraphs, it's, and it's talking about northern New Jersey, draws the prober's eye, written by a nice reporter. Now the poor guy, you got to see this guy. Oh, I don't know what I said. He's oh, shaking and I don't remember. His... He's going like, I don't remember. I, oh, maybe that's what I said. This is 14 years ago. He still, they didn't do a retraction. So he's talking about an article that was in the Post and about the, the, whether or not uh, Muslims celebrated, you know, 9-11 in the streets of New York or New Jersey, okay? The, the subject matter is immaterial. The fact is Donald Trump on camera mocked a disabled reporter. If you see a picture of this reporter, you can see exactly how Donald Trump was mocking him. This reporter has, uh, has a disability, has what they call arthrogeropsis, drop, drops, dropsis, anyway, limits the functioning of his joints. And his, his hand is kind of in a claw shape and is held up like this. And so that's what Donald Trump was mocking and very obviously mocking that disability. And then he comes out and says, I never mocked this guy. I never mocked his disability. In fact, he said, he, I think he said something about the, the I never met him. I, like, what? So anyway, the fact is he has done that. And, and so the, the, the Washington Post comes out and says, that's a four Pinocchio lie. So embedded in this, re regardless of your thoughts of Trump or Hillary, I find that this, this ad from the, the, the uh, Clinton campaign is incredibly effective I think to American families. Okay. Now, I don't know if you've seen this one or not. It's called the role models ad, Billy. It's about a one minute ad and it's put out by Hillary and it's clips of children watching Donald Trump on television. So the audio you hear is taken from Trump's statements and the video, the, the commercial is all these kids watching him on the screen. There's no reaction. It's just kids watching. I love the old days. You know what they used to do to guys like that when they were in a place like this, they'd be carried out on a stretcher folks. And you can tell them to go themselves. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. When Mexico sends its people, they're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists. You know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes. Uh, blood coming out of her wherever. You gotta see this guy. Oh, I don't know what I said. Oh, I don't remember. He's going like, I don't remember. It says our children are watching, right? And then it comes on with you know, our children. Okay, now, okay, then of course Hilda Beast comes on and talks. <laughs> Her voice has gotten She's awful. so much it's, more insufferable. It's so grating. It's like it's like the the stereotypical first wife, right? Oh my gosh, it's <laughs> awful. So um, anyway, 
But I thought, what do you is think? Is it possible of, he, he didn't know he had the disability? This no. has been a question. The way, because he says there's, because it's, and and you should go read the, the Washington Post piece, uh, because they lay out the facts, like he very clearly knew. And the picture of this guy is, you can tell exactly what disability Trump is mocking because he holds his hand up like this, just like the guy can't help but hold his hand up as because of his disability. That's just how it is. So he's very obviously mocking this guy. Anyway, regardless of your thoughts of Trump or Hillary, do you think that that is an effective ad? And does that should that matter the way that he treats people? What example we set from? Because and and I have oh, a reason. Should, I have a reason for should, yeah, that should matter absolutely. Because the I reason mean, the reason I ask is because Republicans rightfully blasted Bill Clinton. You know, in his last term, is what kind of an example are you giving to the American children, right? Because oral sex among teenagers, the research showed, seemed to show that it skyrocketed after the whole Monica Lewinsky thing because we taught them that that isn't sex, right? And that that kind of promiscuous behavior was acceptable. And so the the right, the conservative right, the, a lot of people who are on the Trump bandwagon said that is not okay. You have to, you are president. You need to be setting a better standard. And yet this is how Trump acts. And so now Hillary, I think, has capitalized smartly on uh, by creating this ad based on Trump's crazy behavior. Does that does that impact your your thoughts at all oh, when, when look, you're voting? Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. Just just as the con issue and just like for Hillary, the Pat Smith issue, these yeah. things are all, yeah, yeah. I think, I- extremely damaging to to the candidates. And there are plenty of things, as I said, that that do disqualify, um, you know, Trump in some ways. And, and I think they're legitimate criticisms. But, you know, it is interesting when you go back to that Washington Post article from 2001, that that paragraph is sort of fascinating. Right. And I'm wondering, has anybody I know he's saying there's not evidence. Have people gone back to to sort of dive deeper into those allegations? Obviously, yeah. Trump didn't see thousands of people right. doing that. Yeah, but there's, there's, but the fact that people were apparently detained Right. And questioned right. uh, because they were allegedly seen holding tailgate parties on rooftops, which is what I'm reading right in front of me right now. Yeah. That that is that is interesting. That's, that's, and, and it may not disturbing, have happened. But. Right. But he's I mean, he's but anyway, regardless of the veracity of the story behind his lie, his the what they're calling a whopper, what The Washington Post is calling a whopper. And they're not calling his they weren't the. They they already called his his claim that Muslims were celebrating in the streets a whopper. What they're calling the the newest for Pinocchio's for for Trump is is the the claim that he didn't you know mock this disabled reporter. Yeah, I just he, watched he the video of him doing it, and I've did. seen it before. He um, absolutely did it. But anyway, so I, I, I this isn't supposed to be a pick on Trump thing. It's just that this kind of flowed from from the baby incident because that I laughed my took us off when I heard that it was so hysterical so anyway it's good because like that's really what matters in america right now is whether or not trump likes a baby in the room but you know for our purposes it works because i'm not don't expect me to tell you something intelligent on this show i mean i just want to laugh right and talk about some subjects kind of seriously but um let's take a break billy and then we'll come back and i want to talk about two things when we come back one an interview that you've got it's a really good interview and two harry potter Are you up for a little bit harry potter discussion i suppose <laughs> okay well We'll be right back if I can get my soundboard to work correctly. We will be right back. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us 
how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com. And now, back to the church boys. They're a real pain in my So, Billy, are you getting that phone number ready as we prepare here? I am. Okay. I have it right here. So, this week, uh, well, maybe last week, a new book came out, the new Harry Potter book. uh, Is this the last? I follow nothing Harry Potter. Is this the last Harry Potter book? Well, you know what? They already did the last one. This one, I believe, is based on a stage play that has been created that's, that's that's a J.K. Rowling story, but like the stage play was written by somebody else, but it's a new Harry Potter book. Anyway... So the nerds in the world were just, you know, woo, new Harry Potter book, yay! I'm going to go watch my, you know, pocket protector. Anyways, we have on staff here at The Blaze a resident Harry Potter expert. And we're going to give her a buzz here in a minute, but I wanted to ask you, Billy, because you and I have talked about these kinds of things before, what is your opinion on the whole Harry Potter thing? Is it an evil thing? Or are you cool with it? Have you read? You haven't read any of the books. I haven't I, either. I haven't. I, I've seen like a few minutes of the movie. One of the, I'm just I'm, right. I couldn't right. be any less interested. Right. Um, I'm about as interested in that as I am the Hillary Clinton campaign. But I will say <laughs> that, um, which we can also do an analysis on <laughs> on evil, not evil, if you'd like. But um, for both campaigns, for that right. matter, I don't um, really know what I think. I, I think. Christians tend to get really worked up about certain things and when it comes to entertainment and sometimes there are valid points and sometimes there aren't. I don't know enough about Harry Potter to know if it is valid to critique it, if it is valid to say, but I think, you know, it's the issue is the occult, right? Dealing with anything magic, the occult that, that is when we run into these problems in Christian communities, Halloween, for instance. Um, and we've talked about this in the show before last Halloween, I would say if it's harmless, it's harmless. I just can't. I don't know. I can't definitively say for Harry Potter. What about I guess, you? I guess I guess I can't get worked up enough about it. I I believe that it's. I think it's good for people in the churches to be concerned about witchcraft and to teach kids. Listen, totally. witchcraft is not okay. But I think that, I think that Harry Potter is. I think it's very different from like the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lord of the Rings series. I think those. The, uh, Tolkien and Lewis wrote their series from a Christian perspective with a source of good and a source of evil in all of their magic, right? Harry Potter, there's no source of good or evil, so there's a, there's a little bit of a difference in the argument of where the, where the magic comes from. However, I don't see it as glorifying evil in any way. There are other things that are very, you know, Dungeons and dragons kind of stuff that you're going, you know, that's kind of that's pushing the, the boundaries of what's acceptable to me, right? To the, right. I, you're you're kind of glorifying some things that shouldn't be glorified. I don't think the Harry Potter glorifies magic or glorifies sorcery. That's just kind of the method of telling the story, and it's a fun way to tell a story. Uh, but I don't. I think we should turn to our resident Harry Potter expert. You got her on there yet? I'm dialing her as we. Sp- oh, I've been put on hold, so I don't know what's going to happen here. Let's see if Billy ruins the technology, but. <clears throat> Uh, we're trying to get a hold of Kate Scanlon right now as we, oh, and, and I've been disconnected. Well, that's a big surprise for all of you who know Billy's proficiency with technology. Of course, um, he screwed the whole thing up. So let's see. Here we go. How are you? How are you? Hello? Ms. Scanlon? Hello? I was, I'm all right. I was disconnected. Hey, uh, Scanlon, we're recording this right now. You cool with that? 
Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, so I, I just, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we wanted to introduce, we want to bring to you um, the daughter of one of our biggest fans, and uh, <laughs> Mr. Scanlon. What's your dad? What's your dad's name? John. John Scanlon. Hello. Dude. Wait, does Hello, he listen John. to us? Yeah, like he's a big yeah. fan, Billy. Did this start after we pranked them by accident? Yes, it, it did. <laughs> we need to be pranking America then. That's, That's right. We need to be pranking America to gain listeners. So um, the reason we're calling, and this is uh, America, this is Kate Scanlon. She is uh, a reporter for The Blaze. She is our official Harry Potter reporter and our official junk correspondent uh, at The Blaze. <laughs> and so we were getting into a little discussion about Harry Potter because the book is now out and apparently you received yours. Um and, but you guys, I, I finally received my copy. It was it was late, and it was a great source of uh, of what stress is this and disappointment book? for me. Chris said it's okay, like an so, interpretive dance manual. Like what what is this? <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so it's not actually a novel. It's actually the screenplay for a play yeah. that J.K. Rowling wrote. She decided to tell the a story as a play rather than a novel, which I'm a little bit disappointed about. But I'm still really excited because it means Harry Potter is back, and I get to nerd out. So. Yes. Is she done after this? Is this the end? God, I hope so. You know, she said this was the end last time when Deathly Hollows came out in 2007. So I don't believe her anymore. When well, she, she has a mansion, end. I'm sure, to pay for. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you see what an and expert people like you make that happen. You see what an expert she is, though, Billy. I mean, she like knows the dates. She knows. I mean, she knows everything about this. So does it read like a play? I mean, is it like got you know so and so like Harry Potter colon and then his line and then you know. So and so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. there's stage directions and everything. It's a lot more. I was a little bit nervous about it, but it's a lot more readable than I thought it would be. So it's, but it's then, been fun so but far. Then, I'm only about halfway through it. But then, but then I only you, got it yesterday. But then you realize the advantage that you have now, because now you have this book, and you and your nerd roommates can put on the play for yourselves in your home. That's 100 percent true, and I'm sure that will happen. I'm guessing this it actually will. sounds insufferable it's on dis- every level. It's disturbing, isn't it? <laughs> So this is. is what this is what she's been, Billy. Kate, close your ears, Billy. This is what she has been going on and on and on about at work. It has been insufferable. <laughs> I, it's moments it, like this. You're like, day, wow. I'm so every, glad that I left the blaze every every day. I mean, it's like calm down, I've Stanley. Been, I've been keeping everyone posted about about my struggle, about my book being late. I actually like live tweeted my misery, and Amazon actually responded to me at one point. Because I think they took pity on me. Did they give you a discount or anything? Give you some money back? No. So actually, actually, it's a really funny story. Um, my brother actually bought the book for me because he lost a bet. Uh-huh. So they didn't have money. You know, if they want to <laughs> refund his money, they're certainly welcome Quinci- to do that. But it's no skin off my back. Quinci- so. <laughs> Quinci- coincidentally, that's the only way you could get me to buy a Harry Potter book is if I lost a bet. So that's really weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know you've lost a I, bet I think when you're buying you. a Harry Potter book. <laughs> So, part of what- yeah, he he bet me that uh that I wouldn't make a hole in one when we were playing miniature golf, and I did. So it's amazing what I will do when Harry Potter is motivation. <laughs> so okay, so we need to ask we need to ask you this because we were having a, we've had this discussion briefly before around Halloween, but there are a lot of people out there who are very anti Harry Potter. A lot of Christian folk out there who are anti Harry Potter. Now you're Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. Right, so Catholics don't really yeah. read the Bible, so I don't know really what your theological source would be. Oh, for this. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kid, I kid. You read the bulletin. Um, so let me let me ask you, let me ask you this. There's a, there's a lot of people out there who say that Harry Potter, you know, there's a lot of evil involved, and that 
people should avoid it because of all of the mysticism and all of the magic and things. And to don't, and I don't want you to, I don't want you to say that, well, it's just like, you know, Narnia and Tolkien, because it's not exactly the same Narnia, Narnia and Lord of the Rings, you know, Lewis and Tolkien wrote from a Christian standpoint. They had a Christian underpinning to their storytelling in those books. Like if there's a source of evil and a source of good, how do you, and, and listen, I don't have, and I don't have a Harry Potter problem other than the nerd factor. Right. And that it's just, I'm just not a fanboy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not a fanboy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a fanboy. <laughs> However, I don't subscribe to the Harry Potter's evil thing, but as a, but I, but I only, I can only say it so far. I can only justify it or I can only stand by that argument so far because I'm not a fan. How does a fan like you, who's also a Christian, uh, react to that claim about Harry Potter? Yeah, um, I think it's a really good question, and I've actually put a lot of thought into this because I would never want to be a fan of something that, that would compromise my faith because my faith is obviously the most important thing thing to me. And that, um, and that faith, wait, that faith is Satanism, correct? Right. Just to clarify <laughs> for the audience. <laughs> okay, really. Um, you're one to talk about that. I mean, let's be real. No, that's true. <laughs> Um, so what I, what I think is really cool about Harry Potter is I, so I don't know that JK Rowling would describe herself as a Christian. I actually don't know whether or not she identifies as one. Um, I don't think she does, but (laughs) put Billy to sleep. (laughs) What I I like about Harry Potter is that it presents magic almost in the same, like it it is what you make of it. So it can be good or it can be evil. It it comes down to the, the individual character's choice. So it's, um, it's rather a choice, but it's rather it's, it's kind of like human nature in that sense. It's rather a choice um, of how to use a tool that you have for good or evil, rather than the source of magic being from good or evil. Exactly, okay. magic in and of itself is just kind of there. It's not either. It's what the human characters do with it, right? That makes it good or evil. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think that does like if it was just you know some sort of like the source of it was evil and, and witchcraft. Obviously, that would be a problem. Um, but I think, and there are very Christian themes through the book in terms of love and self-sacrifice and friendship. Um, and I, I do think it's, it's perfectly compatible with, with you That's can be a Harry Potter fan and still be a Christian. Because I actually think this is why Daniel Radcliffe is, is an atheist. No, I'm kidding. But he is an atheist, <laughs> a huge atheist. Um, and, oh, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure. Actually, I could be, I could be like totally lying about that. I'm pretty sure he is though. Am I alone in thinking I, that? I don't know that for a fact. I've I've always been more into the books and the movies, um, so I I don't actually know whether or not he would call himself that. I I mean I think he would. It doesn't sound outlandish to me yeah. saying that. So interesting. Yeah, I just found a quote. I just found a quote, um, <laughs> and he says, oh, as no. far as I can tell, I could be. It says, let's see here. I don't preach my atheism, but I have a huge amount of respect for people like Richard Dawkins who do. Huh. Interesting. He said that in 2015. So. So okay, well, I think I think that's a fair. I think you've offered a fair assessment, and I just anyway, we just wanted to get your take on it because you're our resident nerd slash Harry Potter reporter <laughs> slash junk correspondent, and so we just wanted. That is to, a title I wear with pride. By yes, the way. I, I, have you received the mug yet? Have I received the mug yet? No, I haven't, oh, and I'm still anxiously waiting it. All right. So uh, anything, uh, anything else we need to harass her about, Billy, or can we just hang up on her now? It's time to leave her. Okay, get out, Scanlon. Well, this was a nice surprise to All talk right. to the church right. boys about my favorite subject. All right. So, well, thanks, guys. Okay, tell Mon, tell Mon, Pa, uh, Scanlon, hello. 
All right. Sure so, thing. We'll do. All right. I'll probably ask when you're going to prank them again. Okay. <laughs> Tell them it's coming. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best. Our number way of gain, number one way of gaining fans, pranking them on accident. All right. Billy. <laughs> all right. We'll talk all to right, you later. Bye, again. guys. All right. Bye-bye. All right. So, Billy, you have an interview we need to get to real quick, and then we got to get out of here pretty soon after that. Um, Tell people about this interview. So, unlike the awfulness of Harry Potter, this interview is insightful and has to do with... Kidding, I love Kate Scanlon. She was great. Um, but it's this new book called God in the House. It comes out in September. It's by Representative Virginia Fox. So we have a member of Congress right. joining us on She's the show a, today. A good lady from and Virginia. She's really nice. Very, very nice. And... Um, yeah, this book is basically, it's kind of cool. It's got Democrats and Republicans' essays from both sides of the aisle in the House about their Christian faith. And it represents 10 different den Christian denominations and sharing stories about how important God is to them. And she really gave a deep lens into what it's really like in Congress among the faithful, even cool. even though they disagree on so much, how much they really also can find common ground on, which is a rare thing, I right. think, you know, in politics. So. Right. Um, this book kind of brings them brings them together, and it's not it, it's very much a Christian book. Do you know cool. what I'm saying? Like yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like this weird interdenominational like sure. kumbaya type thing. It's it's a pretty hard hitting um, you know book about faith, and the foreword's by Paul Ryan. Oh, which cool. Is cool. Well, that's awesome. So anyway, all right, you can roll it. It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys podcast, and I'm very excited to welcome Representative Virginia Fox to the show. How you doing today? I'm doing wonderfully well. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on. And, you know, I I love this project that um, you have coming out here. It's a book. It's called God is in the House. And I love the title of the book. Uh, but I also love what you've done in this book, which is to really provide essays from other members of Congress, um, testimonies of faith, which I think where we are right now, culturally speaking, politically in this country, a book like this can't come at a better time. And so I guess just to start, what was it for you that was the motivator that led you to work on and write God is in the House? Well, um, two things. Well, maybe more than two. <laughs> um, I... Uh, I had a very unusual route in getting to Congress. I have no reason at all to be there except for the hand of God. I grew up extremely poor in the mountains of North Carolina, house with no electricity and no running water. And so I, I recognize that, there, again, there's no reason I should be there except, of course, this is the greatest country in the world, and, and I have strong faith and strong belief in God, and he had a reason for my being there. So... When I got to Congress, I immediately began attending the weekly prayer breakfast that we have in the House. Um, there's a, a prayer breakfast on Thursday morning in the House, one on Wednesday morning in the Senate. And I began to hear other stories of members that they got there, again, in their feeling, by the hand of God. So strong stories of faith. And as I heard those stories over the years, it occurred to me that the American people ought to know about it because so much of what you hear and read is that um, negative things about members of Congress. And yet, for the most part, uh, members of Congress are wonderful people, uh, very caring, very concerned people, 
and most of them are people of faith. And so I began to collect their stories. Um, when I started, I didn't have a title for the book, but I just thought we sh I should collect the stories and ultimately try to put out a book. And then, I, I don't know, um, as I was doing it, suddenly God inspired me with the story, God is in the house, because these were all stories coming from house members. So that's the, the, the inspiration all came from God. And uh, I thought people should know about it. As I said, very few people realize we have lots of Bible studies that go on. We have this prayer breakfast that's been going on for over 70 years. It's bipartisan. And uh, we meet every Thursday. And I, I just wanted to share these stories with the public. Well, I love that. And I think you, know, you mentioned that so many people have negative views of, of Congress and people in Congress and politicians. And I think that's true. And so it's, it's fascinating. I also think the book comes at a time... I mean, things are very divisive. They have been for a very long time. But I think that we're probably going to see a very difficult general election season here. It's already sort of shaping up that way. And the thing you've done, as you've mentioned here, and just like your prayer breakfast um, that you attend in Congress, this is bipartisan. You have Democrats, you have Republicans who have come together to share these stories of faith. Um, I guess for you, and you spoke a little bit um, to this, throughout your life, I mean, how, how big of a role has faith played? Has that changed at different times in your life? Just take me through a little bit about of your testimony. Yes, I, I have to say that over the years, um, my faith has deepened. Now, I mean, we, we often think of that happening with people. In my case, uh, I will tell you, um, as I said, I grew up, my parents, we went to church, um, every week. We actually, I have an unusual background. I was born in New York City because my mother was there working during World War II. My father was in the Army, but he was from New York. Uh, they married. I was born there, and I was baptized as a Catholic. Then we moved to North Carolina when I was six and a half. Um, for several years, we didn't go to church because we just lived I mean, way off the beaten path. It was very, we didn't own a car. It was extremely difficult to get out to civilization. But soon, uh, when we lived in town, we went to church. I was baptized as a Baptist. So I have a background in church, uh, going to church every Sunday, Wednesday nights, Sunday nights. Um, and so, so that's my background. But and I worked hard because I was very poor, and I worked hard, went to school. Uh, I became the president of a community college. And it really was then that God sort of got my attention. I was going through a tough time after having been at the community college for about six and a half years. And God, I, I won't, can't say it was a burning bush or anything like that, but I got this message from God that, some of the people there were like Joseph's brothers. He said to me, they mean you ill, but I have a plan. Trust me. And so um, I decided I would resign from the community college, finish some projects, and trust God. Because I, I was at, a little bit at a crossroads with some of the trustees. And even though I 
done a really, really good job at the college, um, political forces came to bear. So I, I, my husband and daughter were concerned, and I said, I know I'm, my faith tells me to trust God. And I did. And as soon as I decided to leave the college, I was asked to run for the legislature in a district no Republican had ever won in. And my husband didn't think I could probably win, but he said, I think you should do it. <laughs> and so I ran, and I lost. I won. I won big. It was in 1994. And again, we, we didn't think I could win at all, but I, I was trusting God. Well, that happened, and throughout my time of running, God kept manifesting um, his miracles, putting people in my path, having things happen. You know, it just had to be acts of God. And the legislature, same thing. I, be, I got involved with a Bible study, and uh, I realized things were happening that, that I didn't control. And I was asked to run for Congress. I was in an extraordinarily tough election, extraordinarily tough election. And uh, one night I was lower than a snake's belly. And I was praying, Lord, are you sure this is what you want me to do? I, I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And I was on my knees praying 9.30 one night. And I was saying, Lord, I, I won't, I, I feel too humble to ask for a sign, but if you wanted to give me a sign, dear Lord, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> and I won't be like Gideon. I won't ask for more than one. I promise, Lord, just one is all I need. And the phone rang, and it was the minister at the church where we were attending, the Baptist church, because I was still going to Baptist church and Catholic Church, both. And he called and he said, I just wanted to tell you I'm calling to pray for you. I'm praying for you. Well, I burst into tears and I said, Marshall, I told him what I was doing. I said, do you think I could consider this a sign? He said, well, I would if I were you. <laughs> and so it changed my whole attitude. And I said, Marshall, why is this so difficult if God wants me to do this? He said, Virginia, you got it all wrong. It's the evil one who's trying to stop you. God is not putting these challenges in your path. It's the evil one. And my whole attitude changed. And uh, so against all odds, I was outspent seven to one. I live in the edge of the district in the more rural area. I was not as well known. I didn't have name recognition. Against all odds, I won. I came in second in the primary, and then I had a runoff, and I won in the runoff. Wow. And so, you know, other people in the book have stories similar to that. I mean, different situations, but many of them go back to their grandparents or their parents, something happening to their parents or their grandparents. Um, and and those are the kinds of things that I want people to know. Uh, I'm not holding myself out as a perfect person or, you know, uh, as somebody special. I want to glorify God with this story. Well, you know, 
<clears throat> I think what's what's fascinating to me is again the the bipartisan nature of the book, and I know there I'm sure there are challenges, obviously, in Congress talking. I mean, you're you're dealing with very difficult issues, you know, the the right. issues that are important to all of us. And for and I want to focus on a lot of the positive elements, but I do want to ask you about this. You know, when it comes to faith, so many people. I mean, you have Hillary Clinton standing up and saying, "My faith leads me here," and you have somebody who's very supportive of Planned Parenthood, somebody who has Planned Parenthood basically out on the campaign trail um, right. with her, essentially. And then you have you know conservatives who would say, "No, I'm not supportive of, of Planned Parenthood. I'm not supportive, and I'm only bringing right. Planned Parenthood up because it's I think, one of the more fiery issues." Um, you know, how do internally as friends, I mean, these are people, you know, how, how do Democrats and Republicans, um, sort of deal with those complicated issues when, when both sides will say, my faith is leading me here, if that, if that makes sense. Well, um, it, that is an issue, frankly, it is an issue. We, I have trouble sometimes understanding how my colleagues can vote certain ways when they say that they have strong faith and believe in the Word of God because my faith tells me something else. But what we try to do is strive for areas where we can come together. But I do have great problems with that, and I I am sure my friends have the same issue. But believe it or not, what we do is we work toward what we can agree on. I don't know the answers to these all of these things. You you wouldn't wouldn't believe how many times a day I pray and ask God for wisdom and discernment. And I want a little bit of an understanding. But I read the my daily devotional, one of my daily devotionals, the one I like the most, frankly, is a little book called Jesus Calling. And uh Oftentimes, the message in Jesus' calling is you aren't supposed to understand everything. You're supposed to trust me. And uh, I'm in charge of things. Just know that and do what you can do. Don't compare yourself to other people. Take my hand and let me lead you. You worry about yourself. And let me take care of the other people. Yeah, and I think that's um, that is one of the challenges of faith, but one of the callings of, of Christian faith as well. And I think you know you've got a very impressive list of, of people here on both sides, and the foreword is written by you know Paul Ryan. So I, I just love seeing you know, people from both sides of the aisle, and you also have representation. I think it's ten different Christian denominations, so sort of across that realm, across the Christian realm, having people share their stories. Let me ask you one of the more difficult questions, and you may not have a solid answer for it, but what was what was the most moving story to you personally out of all the essays that were submitted for this book? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm not sure I can say what the most moving story is. I often talk about Janice Hahn's story. Um, Janice is from Los Angeles, California, And she's, in in addition to being a stalwart in the prayer breakfast, in fact, she was co-chair of the prayer breakfast, she also goes to my Bible study. And Janice's story goes back to her grandmother, Hattie Hahn, who almost committed suicide with all five of her little boys um, because she felt so destitute. 
and um, she heard the voice of God telling her not to do that, and she didn't. And out of those boys came Janice's father, and then Janice, and um, that's that's a very moving story to me. What happened with Janice's grandmother? Um, and then Janice had lost several elections and, you know, continued to have faith that she was on the right track. Um, but, but there are lots of stories. Um, there are lots of stories like that in the book where people again, um, have had faith. Um, and so I, I want to, let me mention something about the bipartisan nature, um, Sure. Go back to that issue just a second. People don't realize, again, that we get along much better than the press acknowledges that we do or than the picture that is portrayed. Um, and I, I mentioned before that we work together on the areas that we can. Most people would be shocked to know that 90 Nine, more than 97% of the bills that we pass pass with bipartisan votes. Wow. Uh, so it, we do get along much better. On a personal level, there's virtually no animosity. Now, there occasionally are individuals who have crossed swords and just can't get along, but, uh, it's, it's very rare. Um, I'm very friendly with everyone there. Very, very friendly. And I think again, most other people are, and we pray for each other. We care for each other. When someone is ill, uh, we're very concerned about it. And, and we, we just care, uh, on a human level. And, what I hope, again, the book will do is show us more as human beings than we're portrayed. And most people work hard for their constituents. Again, we have different ideas about how to get to the goal. Uh, conservative Republicans generally want less government. Our liberal friends on the other side of the aisle uh, want more government. And so the trick is how do we come together to take care of the people from the federal level that we should take care of and not um, and, and, and compromise. That's become a dirty word in, in lots of places, but, but we do have to compromise. And I point out to people a lot of the times that um, if you, you're in a church, people don't all agree, and folks have to compromise on things. If you are in any group of people, you're not all going to be the same. I mean, I don't agree with my husband all the time. Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> you know, and we have to compromise uh, on what we're going to have for dinner, uh, you know, uh, those kinds of things. We have to try to get along, and yet people somehow or another think that members of Congress have to be perfect and fit a standard 
that the average person doesn't fit himself or herself. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's a, a very interesting point. And I wanted to ask you, as we sort of round out here um, to the close, because I love I love that goal of trying to help people understand beyond what the media shows them, beyond what they see in the political battles, which are usually what makes headlines, the Planned Parenthood, the abortion, the gay marriage, that sort of thing. Um, right. That that there's a deeper relationship and, and an ability to get along that seems to trump a lot of that in the, in the general day-to-day. Um, but I think the other question for you, you wrote a book about God during a time where there's a lot of discussion about God, you know, quote unquote, being dead, which I think is absurd, or God being, I guess, less prevalent in society. Um, what are some of your biggest concerns based on what you're seeing happen in politics, culturally, um, just about where we are today when it comes to faith? Well, I am concerned about the fact that we see fewer and fewer people are going to church, fewer and fewer people uh, seem to have a strong moral compass. That bothers me. You know, our founders said many times that uh, we cannot sustain our country if we did not have a moral people, and I believe that. You know, we can't, um, we cannot have enough people to enforce all the laws in our country. We can't hire law enforcement people to enforce the laws. People have to have a conscience and they have to understand this is the right thing to do. If, and if that breaks down, then we have anarchy. And that's not good. I do believe God intends us. I, I believe God formed this country for a purpose and that we're serving an important purpose. And I, I am concerned about that in the, in the um, general population. And I would like people to understand better the basis of our government. And the basis of our government um, is the rule of law, but that comes, you know, from biblical principles. We know that while the founders uh, did not talk about God specifically, they talked about a creator, and that they were very influenced by the Bible, they also were influenced by the Enlightenment, and they pulled those two together. And uh, we have a unique country. Never before in the history of the world did a people believe they were free. And God gives us free will. He gives us guide, a guideline on how to live, but he gives us free will. And that's, I think that's also manifest in our country. Absolutely. Um, I've asked, been asked a lot recently about more laws for this, more laws for that. And I said to to a woman recently, around the the wall in the chamber, the house chamber, are profiles of ancient lawgivers. And right in the middle, the only full face is Moses. He's looking straight down on the speaker's podium. And I pointed out to that woman, I said, you know, we've had all the laws basically we need since Moses died. Unfortunately, human beings haven't obeyed those laws. Yeah, which is which is a very 
a very valid point. And and just I wanted to ask you one other question about you know you had mentioned at one point you were going to Baptist churches and Catholic churches. You strictly go to the Roman Catholic Church now, right? No, I go to both. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, very interesting. A week from Sunday, I will be at the seventy fifth anniversary of uh, a, a free will Baptist church in my district. I'm invited almost every Sunday to go to a church somewhere, and I go to every church that I am invited to. I feel very comfortable in uh, in either place. Uh, last year, I was at the 100th anniversary of a Lutheran church, and it hit me it was the first time I had been in a Lutheran church as a guest. Uh, but I'm I'm quite comfortable uh, in any church that uh, believes in uh, the resurrection of Jesus. It's it's not difficult for me. Would you uh, label to yourself go, would, to go to both churches, would both you, types of churches? Would you label yourself a Catholic or a non-denominational Christian? I'm I, just curious. I, I label myself a Catholic. Um, I, uh, as an adult. Um, when my husband and I finished up college and moved back to the mountains where we live now, I I had some friends in college who were very strong Catholics who had an influence on me, and I began attending the Catholic Church in Boone. Uh, that was at the time uh, the priests were from Glen Glen Mary missionaries, and um, I went there. Actually, got very involved. Um, got elected to the parish council and missed the first meeting, and they made me chair the first day. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, again, I'm, I'm, I'm very comfortable either place. Uh, as I said, I want us to have, again, a moral society. I want people to look to church as an anchor for themselves and to look to God uh, to be our anchor. So... I feel pretty good, but I do list when people ask me. I, I list being Roman Catholic. Well, I love it. And last question for you, and then I'm going to let you go because you've been so generous with with your time. Um, one of the things that has captivated attention and captured attention rather of late has been the debate over religious freedom. Um, yes. You know, and and where we are right now, just about a year after the legalization of gay marriage, how have you navigated that? Um, especially, you know, with, with others who may be on the other side who are Christians. Is that a tough topic for you guys, and what are you hoping to see happen in that realm? Well, we work on that a lot, um, and there's a lot of discussion on it. And you made mention of the fact that uh, the foreword of the book is from Paul Ryan, our speaker. Uh, this is a huge issue for Speaker Ryan and many of us. We just, uh, just before we adjourned for the August recess, we passed a conscience bill uh, because California is forcing people out there, uh, medical professionals, to engage in abortions. And we want to do everything we can to protect people's religious freedom. We realize it is under attack. And um, it's it's a tough it's a tough situation right now in the country, but we know that um, the founders made that our first freedom for a reason, and uh, and I I think it's extremely important that we continue to work on that because we have to protect those freedoms 
outlined in the Constitution if we are to continue to have the great country that we have. Yeah, California seems to be the where a lot of things. The education bill has been circulating there and, and is under consideration, you know, for the colleges and universities uh, restricting their rights. There seems to be quite a bit uh, going on there. But, well, listen, this has been great. Your book comes out in September. Um, correct. correct. And we will make sure we link out and, and we let people know about that. And I appreciate you coming on today and talking about so many interesting topics with us. Could I make one more comment? Yes, The of proceeds course. from the book will go to the National Prayer Breakfast uh, and to the community college where I served as president for um, scholarship money. I think it's only fitting that the two places that I think had the most impact on my writing this book um, should benefit. I, I want no benefit from it whatsoever. It, this is... This is God's work, not my work. Well, I, I love that, and um, and I appreciate you sharing that. I think that's an important detail. And we hope to have you back again, for sure. We'd love to have you back on the show. I would love to do it. Thank you for inviting me today. Thank you. Back to the church board. All right, y'all, we got to head out here in just a minute because Billy and I both got stuff to do and um, we just, it's been crazy. But thank you for being here. It's, it's you know, this is, we usually do our show on Friday and it's Wednesday and so you're getting a little bit earlier, so you're welcome. But we also thought, you know, we have, I have screwed up this summer so much that it was important to get an issue out or a, an episode out. So I was going to be gone on Friday anyway. Now Billy's taking off Friday uh, afternoon and so this gives, he's got, he's kind of got his schedule freed up, but it's interesting because you were telling me Billy and I didn't even know you were going to be gone until he sent me this little note with a photo of a list that your wife has made for your upcoming travels. <laughs> My wife is um, psycho is out of control. She's she has she has this list and it is like uh, completely organized by person so each person in the family what they need and she prints it out and then checks it off as she packs. It's like two or three pages long. And is there anything and for you? I don't see a Billy category. I only see It's Ava. on the next page. Okay. There's two pages. I was say, there's an Ava list, a Lily list and an Andrea list and there's a clothing section with with each item there with little squares next to them to check off. Like it's, you, it wasn't enough to just have a list that she typed out. There had to be an actual box there. It's, it do you realize, did she realize that it takes her longer to create this list than it actually does to pack? Um, well, I don't know. She, you know, she saves this list and prints it out every time and then adds things to it, right? As the kids get older, things that they need. So uh, it is, it is, and no, it takes forever to pack. It's a nightmare, but she, she handles all of that and then but we have to get it in the car, which is broken my out, responsibility. It's but. broken out by person and then by category under each person. So there's a clothing yeah. section, like outfit, socks, panties, Let PJ, sweater, jacket, hat, gloves, shoes, and then beauty products, health and beauty. Let Gear. Let me explain something to you. <laughs> the this my wife's family has already started talking. Oh no! About how I mean, they they oh, plan no. the holidays months oh, in advance. No. What's going to be eaten? Menus oh, they plan. No. So like oh. I would say by September we'll know who's hosting every holiday, what's being served at those holidays, and Jeez. this is the way it runs. That's it is. Is, so, is that an Italian thing? Because I don't. I mean, I don't uh, know. Yes, my wife's totally. very, my wife my wife is not Italian at all. I don't think. But she acts that way. I mean, she's like very, she loves the food thing and she loves the, but she's not into like the loud boisterous stuff. That's my family, but we're not Italian either, but she does the list thing. I mean, the overpacking and the overpreparing and it's like, just can you fly by your seat of your pants once? 
So. No, the answer is no. They which can't. is why this show probably would drive her crazy, um, because we just kind of completely go, unorganized. We have, we are not professional in the least. We're uh, wonderful people, though. I would say that. <laughs> I mean, like, have fun on your little trip. Where are you going? Connecticut somewhere? Um. Yes. Is it? Just Friday to Sunday, just to get away for a couple days. It'll be nice. Is it, is it a beach trip? No. Oh. no. Church Boys.